Now, I know deer season is right here on top of us, but guys, I'm telling you, turkey season isn't too far away. Before you know it, turkey season is going to be right here on top of us, and you're going to be scrounging, looking for stuff. Hey, you ain't got to look far. Go to Instagram. Go to Facebook. Bloodline Custom Calls. That's where you want to go. Those guys have some of the best slate calls you're going to hear for hunting turkeys. I'm telling you, hands down, good stuff. And you know what else they've got right now that you can use? Some good merchandise. Man, two of the coolest looking camouflage hats that I've ever seen. And then they've got a new hoodie coming out that, hey guys, wink, wink, nod, nod. I'd like to get one. Oh my goodness, those new hoodies they've got are, mm, they good looking, okay? Just going to say that. Bloodline Custom Calls. Go check them out. Instagram, Facebook. Uh, I'm telling you, man, when it comes down to slate calls, these are some of the best sounding calls I've heard. Bloodline Custom Calls right here. Ruston, Louisiana. North Louisiana Company. You know, we got to support local. Give them a shot. You won't be disappointed, I promise you. This week with the Wise Eye, one thing we're going to talk about is the cell phone reception. My goodness gracious, this thing will pick up on Mars, okay? I was raised in Bayou de Lutre. That's when you see the sign on the highway coming into Farmerville on Highway 2. And when you're going toward Marion from Farmerville on Highway 33, you'll see Bayou de Lutre. Locals call it the looter. The looter has no cell phone service. You might as well be on Mars as down in them bottoms. Well, I put the wise eye on a cow oak egg and tree down there this week, and man, it is popping off some great footage, some good pictures. I'll go down there pretty soon. I'll make a kill, and wise eye help me do it. Go check them out, wiseeyetechnologies.com, Amazon, K&M Coffee, Corks and Camo, and maybe a couple other local stores around here somewhere you can find. But I'm telling you guys, you're going to love this camera. It's really, really impressive. When I designed this podcast, it was not just to talk about big deer. This podcast was created to tell a story. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've got one of the best stories that you guys will ever hear concerning deer hunting, why we do it, how we feel. If you've got a person who doesn't hunt, if you know someone who may not understand why we do what we do, let them listen to this podcast. This one is everything that we are i i got emotional during this podcast the the guy doing the talking was a little emotional it encompasses everything deer hunting is to a t you know sometimes we can get a bad image in public relations let's just be call it what it is you know night hunting people breaking the law uh, it really paints us in a bad light this podcast right here will redeem all of that Justin Lyons, De Quincey, Louisiana, killed a piebald deer. Now, piebald means that the fur was not a solid color. Deer normally brown. This deer had a lot of white on it. That's where the piebald comes in. Not only was it piebald, it was also bumping 140, if not over. Great deer. Lots of history. Just a great story. That's all I can say. You guys give a listen. I know you're going to like it. Please like and share this with your friends. Share this with anybody that will listen. This is the podcast that I really want to hang our hat on for what Antlers and Hicks is, the way Justin felt about this deer. Y'all give a listen.
So I bring you guys a lot of big deer on this podcast. You know, everybody likes big deer, but what I really like and want to focus on more than anything is the story. And the story behind this one is one I cannot wait to hear. I know that he's got a lot of of uh, experience with this animal, a lot of history with this animal. Justin, how you doing, man? Justin Lyons. Where, where are you from, Justin? I'm from De Quincey, Louisiana. Okay. Now, for those of you who don't know De Quincey, it's going to be around the Lake Charles Southwest area. Is that right? Yes, sir. Calcasieu Parish, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Okay. So, you guys have an early rut, number one. Is that right? Yes, sir. It's It usually starts – they usually start scraping and rubbing around October 15th. Right. But it really doesn't get going until Halloween weekend every year. And uh, as you can tell – Right. Halloween weekend is a hot weekend, and it was one I was not going to miss. So, now, people have seen these type of animals before, and I've had a lot of people who, who aren't as experienced, you know, and they'll be like, well, what's wrong with that deer? It's an albino. No, it's called piebald. And right. it's it's when, a, when an animal is not totally um, white or totally the, the normal color that it would be, it's the pigmentation kind of gets thrown off a little bit. And you were fortunate right. enough, you were fortunate enough not only to get a piebald deer this past weekend, this is a pretty good buck that you got too. Yeah, yeah, he's beautiful. So uh, I tell you what, like I always tell everybody, when we're, ever since I, you see, I used to do a lot of writing. And what I tell people when I would write these stories, I tell them, tell, give me everything you got. From the beginning all the way through maps, from Genesis through maps, give it to me. Tell me, tell me about you and this animal. Well, for me, it all started. Our lease manager is a good friend of mine, and it all started with him getting a few pictures of this piebald deer that was a four point, and he just had a beautiful coat on him. And he was telling me that he saw him in the daylight. And he was just too pretty. He, he let him walk to let him grow. And as, as time went on, I started getting pictures of him. And my dad started getting pictures of him. And then the next year, we start seeing him as an eight point. Our lease manager got several pictures of him as an eight point. And then he would disappear. He would usually disappear for most of the year until around December and he would start showing up at feed and anywhere somebody had a feeder, he would show up around December. And then he ghosted most of us for a couple of years. And we talked about him for several years after that. But then in 2018 or 2000, yeah, 2018, he showed up as a small team. And we all were just, we really wanted that deer. But we talked about it and, and we said that if any of us seen it, we would let it go. Well, again, our lease manager gets another shot at it and he lets him walk. Now, how many people are you talking about coming to a gentleman's agreement? Well... It was between me and my lease manager for a good little while. And my dad 
was hunting right there close to him and and he was along with us on it and as time went on up until year before last he was a really nice 10 but we very rarely saw him i mean this deer was he was you could tell he was smart he he wasn't coming to feeders at that point anymore you just see him passing by every now and then and i set out year before last i said i got to find this deer i have to find where this deer is coming and going from he's he's spending the daytime hours some somewhere he went full nocturnal and i said he's spending the daytime somewhere i have to find where this deer is moving and it progressed from there to last year the search was on and my dad got one daylight picture of him and everybody else was all nighttime and i spent all season i hunt out of a tree saddle most of the time and i spent all last season saddle hunting all over that leaf and trying to find scrapes and rubs and setting cameras out and i only got a few pictures of the deer in, in the nighttime and during last year I ended up with the pictures of him as a button buck. And I said, this is just too good. I mean, it's, it's almost unreal to have a picture from almost every year and I'm still putting it together. I should have this week, I should have pictures from every year that that deer was alive. And last year we never crossed paths but i narrowed it down last year i put all the pieces together and i spent a lot of time on onyx going over the maps of the lease and figuring out choke points and and everywhere that this deer could be traveling because we hunt a little over four thousand acres and i know some people on the lease north of highway 12 and they haven't gotten any pictures of him, so I knew he wasn't crossing that road. And the lease on the other side of the road called Edgerly Starks Road, I knew he wasn't crossing that road. So I found the area that I knew he was in and ended up talking to our lease manager about getting a spot in the area that I thought that this deer would be traveling through because this was an area that nobody pressured. It had thick cover. There's a Mayhaw flat there that's about a mile and a half long by a half mile wide that nobody hunts in. And it just seemed like the perfect place for a deer like that to be. And then this year, beginning of the season, Another friend of mine, Ronnie Dugas, he had been talking back and forth with me since last year about this deer because he started getting pictures of him. Well, this year he messaged me and asked me if I had seen him. And I said, no, I haven't seen him yet, but I've got it narrowed down where he was going to be. And, and me and him come to a gentleman agreement that if one of us killed the deer, the other one would get a phone call and get to see him when he was dead. 
And so as time went on this year, he starts sending me pictures from a spot that he has across the creek from me. And I didn't know he was hunting over there. I didn't know anything about any of the pictures when I picked the spot that I picked. And he's maybe 800, 1,000 yards from me where he hunts. And he sends me pictures of this deer after shedding last year. And as he was growing this year in velvet with nubs out to his G1s, G2s, G3s, all just being little nubs all the way out to a full velvet rack, daytime pictures. And I thought when that happened, I said, well, he's going to kill this deer. I mean, he's in his, he's in his bedroom. So is this where the deer had been early season before he was coming to y'all's place? You think he was spending a lot of time historically over on his place? It was, it was in his hunting area. It's on our lease, but it was in his hunting area that this deer was, was spending the summertime. I mean, he shed his antlers there and he lived there. He was there every day. Ronnie has probably 3,000 pictures of that deer from the end of last season to this season. And when I started seeing those pictures, I said, well, I'm in the ballpark of where I need to be, but I'm not going to kill him until the rut because he's not leaving his house until the rut. And that's exactly the way it played out. Uh, I spread trail cameras out. I bought some wild game innovation uh, cell cams and put them out everywhere around my area to figure out if he shows up, I want to know where he's coming from. I want to know where he's leaving to go to. I want to know everything I can when he finally does show up. And then hogs moved in on Ronnie's spot and he disappeared in the beginning of September. Nobody was getting pictures of this deer all year. And the first pictures that started showing up was four days ago. Four days ago, he showed up on Ronnie's and we start talking back and forth and it just so happened that Saturday I go out there and the hogs have twisted my feeder around and dumped the corn out. So to fix my feeder, I had to sling corn all over the place to get to, to get the corn out of the feeder and raise the feeder up. So this deer never eats out of a feeder. He will not eat out of a feeder for the last three or four years. He will not do it. He won't go near them. And I went and hunted some private land that I'd been hunting that I thought he might be traveling through Saturday evening after fixing my feeder and everything. And I was going back to that private land because it looked like it looked like where he would be. And I pulled out my phone Sunday morning. And I'm going through everything in my head where this deer could be. And I pull out my phone and I'm looking here. I've got pictures of a small tin that I was getting several times. And this tin had been running with that deer a couple of times throughout the year. He had been running with the piebald. And he was the subject of so many hunts. I mean, it's just been 
over the years, we have all, when we would go hunting, especially me and my dad, me and my dad hunt together a whole lot. And every year for the last three years, every time we go hunting, man, I hope one of us sees that pie ball. Man, I hope one of us sees that pie ball. And that's all we've talked about. Well, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I can't even fathom having a deer like this because number one, because he's easy to identify. I mean, you know, it's him every single picture that he's in. There's no question. So no doubt about it. And so, that, that's the special part because any other buck, how would you identify any other books between a four point and an eight point even, but especially as a button buck. Mm -hmm. And I have pictures of this deer now, thanks to a few other club members in the neighboring club, from a button buck all the way only missing a couple of years to now. And in 2015, he was a button buck. And I mean, the, the, the ability to identify this deer as that button buck is, is special only to a pie ball. I mean, there's, there's really no other markings that a normal deer would have that would indicate that. Yeah. And it's quick for people to be able to say, you know, it's one thing to have a eight point, you know, and you really don't realize the travel range of that eight point because some people may not recognize it as the deer that they've had on camera. But a right. pieball deer is going to stand out, and everybody within that deer's range that has either got a camera out or has actually seen it with its eyeballs has a story about that deer because it's that deer. There's not a pile of them in the woods, trust me. Right, and the amazing part to me now, I mean, now, of course, it's all over, but now I get to put the pieces together of this deer's life and to know where he started life as a button buck is kind of a special thing because I mean, he, he was only exclusively on the club that's across the gravel road from us as a button buck. We never saw him as a button buck. He was only over there and he was probably a mile and a half from where he was killed as a button buck. And where he ultimately ended up calling home was probably two miles from where he was raised. So to kind of be able to put together where this deer called home throughout his life is kind of special to me. Yeah, I think that's going to be probably, if I had to pinpoint anything, that would be the 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 coolest thing about the story besides, you know, the size of the deer and everything else is it's just really you get to put everything together and and you can see where the travel ranges were where he called home and man this is that is the you know i've always want, wanted to to at least just see one in, in the wild i've never even i've never had that opportunity but you know i gotta be honest with you i'm very envious of the you know the uniqueness of this deer and the story for you man this is that is so cool so Y'all are, you, you, you and your dad, you know, y'all, every time you go out, you always talk about the deer. Um, how is he, I bet he is probably more excited about this or just as excited as you are, isn't he? 
Oh, without a doubt. Uh, see, last year, this, this all kind of came full circle because Dad's always wanted a 10-point. He's killed some eights, killed quite a few eights, and he's killed a nine, but never got that, that 10 that everybody wants. And so last year, I got the opportunity to go hunt with some friends in Del Rio and got to know the guys that, that have a ranch down there. They've got 27,000 acres on the, on the Rio Grande down there. And the whole time I was down there the first time, I mean, I always hunt, hunt with my dad. So the whole time I was down there, all I could think was, I wish I could bring dad here. So I talked to those guys and I said, man, the next time y'all come, if I would have the opportunity to bring my dad, it would be out of this world. I would love it. So I get a phone call three weeks later. Hey, you want to come back to Del Rio? I said, of course, can I bring my dad? They said, yeah, no problem. Bring whoever you want. So I bring dad there and first evening, of course, nobody shoots anything cause it's the first evening. The following morning, we're hunting about 800, 900 yards apart, and we're texting back and forth. And the first time I went, I saw a big crab claw, but we called him crab claw because all he was was real heavy main beams and about 16 inches of main beam, real heavy all the way out, and had about a one-inch crab claw on each side. And he's probably one of the oldest bucks I've ever seen. And he was texting me that he was seeing him over there. It's barely daylight. And then a little bit later, he said he left. And as it starts to get daylight, he says, I think he's back texting me. And then I hear him shoot. And I said, what'd you shoot? He said, I think it's a nice 10. So I hurry up and get out of the stand, get on the buggy and go over there and meet him. And when I get there, he said he couldn't find any blood. He's looking for the deer. And when I get there, the deer went 20 yards and was laying in the bushes right there, dead, and was absolutely gorgeous, perfect 10-point. So I was so happy for my dad to be able to finally get his 10-point and to be able to experience that with him. That, that was a special thing for me to be able to experience that with my dad. And then this year, for all this to happen, and my dad Sunday morning was hunting six to 800 yards from me. And it all came full circle. I got to experience his deer of a lifetime last year, his, his 10 points that he got down there. And then this year being able to experience mine with him. And this is a deer that's been having so much history with all of us. I mean, especially me and my dad we have been after this deer hard and just trying to trying to pick him apart trying to figure out what he had been doing and between the two of us we finally got it done it definitely wasn't a, a single part effort by any means it was it was a club-wide effort and last year we knew he was on his way down because year before last and last year he was almost the same he was he was almost an identical version both years and when i got when i got in the truck sunday morning 
to go out, I saw that little 10 on there, and it was him and a little four point. And they had a possum there at the feeder. And I said, I text dad that picture. He was already on the stand. And I said, look, they were having a party at my feeder last night. And after I texted him that, I flipped to the next picture. And there he is, standing there at 4.09 in the morning. There's the piebald eating the corn that I slung out of my feeder to move my feeder up the post that it's mounted on. You know, I like that right there, that you you knew he didn't like the corn that came from the feeder. He liked that hand-spread corn better than uh, – you think the feeder scared him? I don't know. I, I don't know if he connects the feeder with, with danger or if possibly going to fill the feeder. Oftentimes you're grabbing it with your hands and you know – a mature buck can smell a fingerprint on a leaf if he sticks his nose to it. So when he's trying to stick his nose in that redneck feeder and you're there not with the best scent control methods and all that, filling the feeder, I don't know if he's smelling something that he don't like on those feeders and just staying away from them or, or what it is, but he'll go around them, but he will not go to them. I mean, it, when I got that picture, I sent that to dad and I said, that's it. It's over with. Because I told him this year, I said, if either one of us gets a picture of that deer, I'm spreading cameras out every direction that I that it looks like he's coming from. All I need is a picture of him this year. All, that's all I need is a picture of him. And I will track him down with cameras. And so when I got that picture, I sent that to dad. I said, it's, it's over with. And I grabbed my, my two cameras that I keep in my truck and put them in my bag with some batteries, and I had it planned out. I was planning it the whole way to the stand. I said, I'm going to go hunt this stand. That way I'm at least in the area. I'm going to get in there as quiet as I possibly can, just in case he's close. And when I get out of the stand, I'm going to put these cameras out and today, the rest of the day is going to be about making sure I have every every avenue, come, every trail coming to and from. I want to know how he's getting in and out of here. So on my way out there, I'm going through everything that I need to do to make sure I don't mess it up. And so going forward, I'm, okay, how am I going to make sure I don't get winded on the way in there if he's close? How am I going to make sure he doesn't hear me get out of the truck? I mean, I parked a quarter of a mile further away than I usually park. I ended up getting to the stand late because of that. I drenched a scent drag. I don't usually believe in a scent drag because I try to I try to walk in in a way that that the deer's not going to be able to smell where I walk in anyway. And and typically a scent drag, the deer's just going to follow your downwind side you're attracting them to your downwind side so i don't typically believe in that but that area i didn't know which side he was going to be coming from so i covered all my all my bases i get there that morning walked in with no light 
normally I would have a light. I wasn't taking any chances. Sprayed down real good with every everything that I could do to make sure my scent was as as good as it could possibly be. Walked in and got as walked in, took my time really, really slow, as slow as I could possibly walk, and not make a sound. Got in the stand as quiet as I've ever got in one and sit down. And I'm there probably 20 minutes, if that. And a doe comes out. And when she comes out, I mean, you know what I'm talking about when I say she was nervous. I mean, it, it wasn't like she knew I was there. She comes out 10 yards from the stand, and she's looking behind her and looking every which way, trying to figure out where she could go. And then tail tucked up tight all that stuff she's tense you could tell she had been running hard and i said this is it i was thinking there's a buck behind her don't know what it is don't know if it's going to be him when i got there that morning i didn't open the side window because i've got a window in the back that's about 400 yards down the road behind me and then i've got a cut over in front of me where my feeder is so well, he's either, he's not going to come out close to this stand. He's, I just knew the only way I was going to kill that deer was out of a tree saddle, on mobile. So I just knew he wasn't coming near a box. So I opened the front and back window, and when she come through, I went ahead and grabbed my rifle, and slid my rifle out the window as quiet as I could. Set it on the windowsill. And I look around, look out the back, look out the front, look over to the left, and nothing. So I look around the corner to see if she's gone, and she's gone. And when I look to the left, again, there he stands in all his glory, eight yards from the stand, right at the edge of some grass in that closed window. Mm. For about 30 seconds, I was calm, but that all fell to pieces. I bet, it, I bet it did. I was worried about the blind rattling. I was shaking so bad. Dad asked me, he said, well, did it sound like somebody was beating tin on that roof over there? I said, yeah, it sounded like somebody was nailing tin. My heart was beating so hard. And... This deer stands right there and stares at me for a solid 10 minutes. We're having a stare off. Mm. I'm thinking, well, what are the chances of me getting a good shot through this plexiglass window? <laughs> you were going to shoot him through the plexiglass. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was trying to figure out a way that, I mean, I, I thought about trying to open the window, and he's eight yards from me. I, there's no way that. Yeah, you can't do that. You, yeah, you're right. And, and I finally decided if he leaves, then it's just not meant to be. Meant to be, it'll happen. Watch a, I watch a lot of stuff about whitetails. I, I do a lot of research, and all the research that I've done, they talk about a mature 
typically people get too excited and rush it because they're going to think every move that they make very meticulously. So when I saw him standing there, what's going through my mind is, okay, right now he's just thinking. Give him time to think. If, if he knew I was here, he'd be gone. And he'd stick his nose in the air. And I mean, he was just as tense and standing there just as proud, both front feet together, both back feet together, just standing there just as tall as he could with his neck just as high as he could reach. And he's looking where that doe came from and where she went to. And he looks down my road where I walked in at. And he looks over there at that feeder and then he stares at that blind for a minute. And then he would look around again and he'd put his nose in the air. And after about five minutes of all this, he finally takes one step with his front foot. When he moves that front foot, I said, oh yeah, he, he's, he's thought about it and he's committing. Just got to give him time. And I said, there's no way anybody's going to believe me if he leaves though. And I thought about all the risks of reaching to grab my phone to get one last picture of this deer alive. What if I drop my phone? What if I bump something in the blind? What if I drop my gun while I let go with his hand? I thought about all the risks and I said it will be worth it. I reached and grabbed my phone and turned and reached over to that window. And I take a picture of the deer standing there looking where the doe went and i reach over and i set my phone down and when i turned back he's flipping his ears around and kind of got his head hanging lower now so now the deer's relax 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 mm -hmm. and at that point i knew it was happening there wasn't a doubt in my mind i'm still shaking like a leaf and he finally starts to walk well, as he starts to take his first steps, I leaned into the rifle and turned the rifle slowly toward him as slow as I possibly could so he didn't see that barrel out the window turn because he's eight yards from me. And as he comes into the scope, I had plenty of time looking at him to calm down. So I get on him take my time he never stopped walking i take my time as he's walking bring it down make sure it's on his heart and squeeze just as slow as i could while i'm following him as he's walking and when the rifle went off i knew i made a good shot of course he's eight yards not too hard but shaking like i was if he'd have been a hundred i i don't think i would have been able to get a good shot He runs about 20 yards through my cutover and crashes. And my first thought, I have to text my dad. Grab my phone, text him. I said, he's dead. He's dead. And he said, what? He was thinking I was talking about the little ten. Right. And I said, piebald. He said, you're joking. And I sent him that picture of him standing in the window 
And I said, no, he's dead. I watched him crash. I am looking at him laying on the ground, graveyard dead. Mm. And he said, oh, my God, Justin, I'm on my way. I'm getting out of the stand. I'm on my way. And at this point, I start crying. Not, not going to lie to anybody. I cried like a baby. I'm sitting there shaking, just tears of joy. I couldn't even get up to go look at him because I couldn't stand. I just sat there in the blind for about five minutes. And then finally, got the nerve after calling several people, telling them and, and texting and all that. I said, I got to go look at him. I know he's dead. I got to go look at him. So I get out of the blind and I've got video from me walking up toward him. I get out of the blind, walk out there where I know he's at. I mean, I don't have to follow blood or anything. I, I know where he's at. I walk up to the deer and he was prettier than I ever thought he was going to be. And walk up, poke him with my rifle, make sure he's dead. And as soon as I knew he was dead, I put the rifle back on safety and set it on the brush next to me and just laid down on top of him and lost it. Mm. Laid down on top of him and hugged him. And when my dad pulled up, he drives an old Bronco, 74 Bronco. So I heard him pull up and uh, that's his hunting truck. He gets out, hey, usually we whistle back and forth when we're in the woods, you know, that way we don't disturb anything. So I hear him whistle and I whistle back. He said, hey, where are you at? I said, I'm right here. He said, well, I can't see you. And I picked my head up out of the all the trash that they leave whenever they do a cutover, you know. Mm -hmm. I picked my head up out of it. He said, oh, there you are. Well, where's he at? I said, under me. <laughs> And he walks over there and he just says, oh, my God, he is gorgeous. So right then, it finally hit me. I thought I hadn't called Ronnie yet. So I had to call Ronnie. Hey, the deer's down. If you want to see him, come on. And he said, I'm on my way. And he met us at the gate on the way out. While I'm on the way out, I'd already planned everything out. Because I was after this deer that hard that I already had my taxidermist ready. I told him he's getting a full body mount. So when I kill this deer, that's how confident I was. When I kill this deer, I'm going to be calling you so I don't mess up any cuts. So on the way out to the gate to meet Ronnie, we called the taxidermist, Glenn OJ, and get him on the way to the house stop and show the deer to ronnie and we took a picture i've got a picture of him he's got the thumbs down and i got my thumb up because <laughs> you know he he was the most likely to kill that deer based on i mean based on everything you read if you're in their bedroom you got him. right you know and and that's what when you started saying that he had the deer early season i was thinking you know first off i, I wonder why He's never had the opportunity to shoot the deer like last year. You know, I wonder why that deer uh, wasn't in, in his 
wheelhouse. I mean, you know, it just seems like he would have had an, a better opportunity than anybody. He has seen that. He's seen him cross the pipeline that's between us. And then another guy that hunts that pipeline regular. That's the only two people that I know that or there's actually three of us that have seen him in the daylight. Ronnie saw him cross the pipeline and then Red on our hunting club. He left to go to lunch at about 10, 30, 11 o'clock one morning and came back. And when he came back to his stand, the piebald is down there on the pipeline right away. That was three years ago. Mm. And last year he was seen running across a cutover in December, December or January. He was seen running across a cutover by our lease manager. And that's the only three times other than me that he's been seen in person in daylight. And I really just think that he was so nocturnal during deer season. You know, all the, all the research that I've done, they say deer during summer go back to their normal behavior. But as soon as hunting season starts, within three days of the activity, I mean, you know as well as I do on a deer lease, majority of people that are out there, they don't go out there till a week before hunting season. Mm -hmm. So all year, you've got a 4,000 acre lease that has zero activity or very little. There's four people on the whole lease that feed year round. And then all of a sudden, all of this activity starts happening. Yeah, and once that velvet starts to come off, it's a whole different animal, too. And that's, <laughs> they that's get very... pretty much what we experienced. I mean, the deer, the deer was daylight and constantly in velvet. I have some gorgeous pictures, thanks to Ronnie, uh, of him in velvet in his bedroom. I mean, it's just, he's in his thick gorgeous woods over there he's he's in his house you know that's where this deer lives majority of the year and he is as comfortable and natural as you've ever seen a deer stand in these pictures i mean he's got pictures of him five feet from the camera just like he's posing for the camera in velvet and then all of a sudden when the velvet came off the pictures stopped and the few pictures he was getting of him was nighttime pictures and that just so happens to to line up with about the time when everybody's out there planting food plots and all that. And the only thing that I can think is all that activity sent that deer into a nocturnal mode. And the only thing that got him this year was it's pre-rut, just a few does are in heat. And I mean, we're just now coming into the rut which we've got a few deer that their tarsal glands are black on camera, but this one, no color at all to his tarsals. Hmm. So he's just now started. It may have been the first doe he chased all year. Who knows? But he had only been chasing for a few days, I would imagine, judging by his tarsal glands. And he's following a doe and he had been on her all night. 8.30 the night before, 
Ronnie got pictures of him almost a mile from me. And he was with a doe. So I don't know if that was the same doe that he followed all the way to me, but somewhere between 8.30 when he was over there and about 3.30 when he showed up at my place, he made the journey across. And everything just fell together. I mean, it, it was like it was meant to happen. I keep replaying everything in my mind that happened leading up to it. I mean, just like everybody knows that you end up with sin on your boots. And really the only good way to, to keep the scent off your boots is not put your boots on anything that smells. Mm -hmm. Well, the evening before, I was helping my dad track a deer that he killed right here behind our house. And we walked around in the brush and in the mud and everything that evening before. And then hunting the evening before. And I just so happened to take my boots off and put my shoes on and, and do everything right that way. You know, if that wouldn't have been the case, who knows? He could have smelled my tracks on the way in there. And then the corn feeder being messed up by the hogs. I mean, if that hadn't happened, I may not have had corn all over the ground for him to eat when he got there and hang out a little longer. And he may not have come to that feeder. So, I mean, everything that happened preceding the kill, looking at it in hindsight, it just all lined up perfectly. It was like it was meant to happen. And I mean, after all these years of talking about this deer and and chasing this deer, it, it's almost kind of bittersweet. You hear people talk about that from time to time when they kill a special deer. Uh, it being bittersweet, it's almost sad because the chase is over. But it makes it so much better because of the story that comes with the deer. And the, the story is, is told decently by me, but it's told even better by the pictures because I'm still putting all that together and it'll all be put together probably this week. But 2015, he's a button buck. Walking around it looks like he was a twin because there's two little ones and a doe in all the pictures of him as a button buck. And the other twin obviously is a, a normal colored deer. And then the following year, he shows up on our lease as a four point, no brow tines. So everybody talks about all oh, well, them raggedy looking deer, take them out because they're not ever going to amount to anything. Well, he was he embodied everything that people say needs to be taken out as a four point oftentimes people that that really don't know deer management he embodied everything that that people want taken out of the herd other than the fact that he was a pieball and then 2017 rolls around and we get a picture of him as a small basket rack eight probably a 10 inch spread nothing special about him so he's a two and a half year old deer and, and small eight point and then he makes a 10 
and then we're thinking, well, now this deer might. So it goes to show that oftentimes if you give them a chance, they may end up surprising you at what they turn into. Yeah, this is, and you're exactly right. I've seen studies before where they'll have a deer and it, and it may not be anything special uh, the second year and then, you know, blossom. And then I've seen studies where a deer would be a spike and then the next year he's a basket rack 10 point. You know, it's just, it's really hard to tell until you let that deer get to that mature age, you know, and that's, that's exactly what you and your, your partners were able to do, man. I tell you, that's a, it's impressive that you have so much story and you told the exact, you know, I've, I've often tried to tell people what buck fever is and why we have it, why we get buck fever. This story is why we get buck fever. You put in all the time. You put in a lot of effort. Not only you, your your friends, the, the, the neighbors, people around you, and everybody's trying to get this, this special animal. And then time and opportunity come together. And here you yeah, are. Yeah, it's, it's the anticipation of... It's your time. You are I mean, you gonna it, it, are you gonna make the shot? Or are you gonna are you gonna screw it up? You know, it's a, yeah. I mean, it's it's the anticipation and the thought of of everything that could go wrong, and how to make it go right. You know, the the, the all the camp conversations and all the all the conversations around a bonfire about. I mean, even when we go hunt out of state, I mean, this deer is a conversation there because everybody's talking about their bucks they have back home they're talking about what kind of deer they have back home and this the pictures that we have of this deer on trail camera would always come up and everybody would always oh my god that would be a deer of a lifetime and say i'm after him hard and i mean it, it was the subject of so many conversations in so many places i mean it wasn't just a conversation between me and my club it was a, it was also a conversation everywhere I would go and hunt at deer camp. So the anticipation leading up to that, I mean, this is years in the making. So that anticipation combined with all the memories of the time where you really didn't know what you were doing and, and you screwed it up or you, you're shaking too bad and you bump the rifle on the window as you're, as you're trying to get the rifle out of the deer leaves, all of those thoughts are going through your mind. All in how beautiful this animal is. It was very nerve wracking. I'm going to tell you that sit there in the stand and look at this deer through a closed window. But now in hindsight, it was a blessing because I got to spend 10 minutes with this deer alive, eight yards from me, watching him in his natural state. You know, I hope that the people who think hunters don't like or really don't care or don't, you know, respect the animals that we're after, I hope they listen to this. Because, brother, you got a love for that deer. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, the, the tears that I shed afterwards was tears of love. And I mean, like like I said, the first thing I did, I mean, I, I laid down on top of him and hugged him right there. Mud and blood and everything. I laid down there on top of him and cried and thanked that deer. I said, thank you. Thank you so much for showing up. 
And uh, I mean, the first thing I said when I walked around and was able to see him behind the little pile that he was behind, the first thing that I said was, hey, buddy, good to see you like this. An old friend. Yeah, I mean, he, he was he was an elusive old friend, but he was an old friend. I mean, and to be able to experience all of that with my dad was such a blessing. And I mean, I just laid there for five minutes, latched on to this deer. And when my dad got there, I was still right there. So, I mean, I, that, that tells you how much, how much love and how much appreciation I have for this deer giving his life. And, and, you know, last year, judging by, judging by the pictures that I have of him last year versus this year, I thought he was bigger this year when I saw him in velvet, but judging by the pictures, he was on his way down this year. He didn't lose much, but he did lose some, and it was his time. Yeah, I mean, he was he was as mature as they get, and I mean that's that's what all of us as as conservationists and hunters want to see in a buck. We want to see them make it to maturity. We don't want to see those those year and a half old, two and a half year old deer get killed before they get to have a full life. And this deer had the opportunity to lead a full life and give so many stories to so many people. And I've been reached out to since making the first post on Facebook by so many people that have gotten pictures of this deer tells me, oh, I saw that deer when he was a four point and I was gonna shoot him. It was during primitive season. But the action of my gun wasn't closed all the way, and the hammer dropped and scared him off. And, I mean, just things like that happening over the years to let this deer, I mean, the chances of that happening in order for this deer to live on and make it to maturity, along with us letting him go, I never got the chance to let him go, but I made the deal that I would. And a few others on our club did let him go. So all of that combined allowed this deer to live a full life and to die with somebody that is going to make sure that his story gets told and that he's not going to, he's not going to die for nothing. He's going to be full body mounted and he's going to live on forever in our memories. And I mean, that's, that's as good as one can ask for. And it's now it's the anticipation. He was the dominant buck in the area. Now it's the anticipation of waiting to see what comes in and take his place. Exactly. And if that, I mean, and that's to the see beautiful that. part about it is he's, He's been there for a while, and I've read places that, that talk about that, and they say that the genetic doesn't get passed on of being a pieball. But I'm inclined to believe differently on that because I, I did some work in West Virginia, and while working up there, there's a certain area near uh, Sistersville, West Virginia, that, I mean, we saw pieball deer there regularly. And it's just odd to me if that area has so many piebald deer. I mean, we saw two different bucks and three different does. And the only reason I know it's different does is because they're 15 miles from each other. So I doubt they traveled that far. It's possible. But 
that being the case, I mean, it's awful coincidental that there's that many piebalds in that area. Right. So the genes have to be passed on somehow. And there's rumor that there's an eight point on our lease that that's a piebald. And we've talked to several people that have seen a doe or multiple does. We don't know, but there's at least one doe on our lease that's piebald that we've heard, heard. We haven't seen any pictures of it, but we've heard of people seeing it across the road. So it's waiting to see if his genes were passed on. And I've heard of people saying that sometimes the piebalds are born sterile. But judging by the fact that we've got a, another 10 on our lease that genetically speaking, his rack looks almost identical. Mm -hmm. So I believe that this deer's genes is in our area and the wait to see what comes after is going to be interesting. If you get up this way, I score for Buckmasters. So if you okay. happen to ever come to North Louisiana for whatever reason, man, and you haven't had him scored or you want him scored officially for Buckmasters, let me know. I may do that. So um, now I'm recording again. Folks, we had a little issue with the recorder, but uh, we're back recording. We're talking about scoring the deer, and, and he, Justin hasn't had it scored yet. You know, he's kind of – you know, anticipating, I think just by the pictures, man, I'm thinking you've got a solid 140. Um, I'm thinking he's probably going to be, you know, high 130s, 140. Now, the, I'm, now, be honest with you, I'm the world's worst picture scorer. <laughs> well, I'm not very good at it. You're pretty good. If, I, if my measuring is anywhere close, you're pretty good because uh, with me measuring it, I mean, I measure several deer in, in Del Rio, last year that's part of their management program you know they've got those management tags for that ranch and uh you have to score every buck that's killed so i help measure on that scoring system that's a different scoring system than boone and crockett uses but uh measuring he's he looks like he's in the 140s yeah looking at the pictures from last year he was probably in the 150s Mm. Or close, or closer to it, but uh, he's definitely in the 140s or close to it this year. So I would say you're pretty close with your picture score. Well, brother, man, I Porter Justin is holding out for us. I don't know how much we got, but I know I I, I was looking at it. And we had I know 45 minutes, so maybe maybe we got you know we got the story on it and. uh Man, I tell you, I, I'm as excited for you as uh, and happy. You, you did it right, man. You you did this deer absolutely right, the way you honored it. And I got to tell you, from one hunter to another, man, thank you for that. Thank you for for having respect for that deer. That was that's a special special animal. Yes, sir. And uh, I I couldn't be happier. You know, it it didn't seem real there for a while yesterday. You know, just kind of trying to take it off every time something happens i get a new emotion about it you know every time every time i tell the story it's like reliving it all over again kind of just about start shaking again so if something did happen with the recording i don't mind telling the story again <laughs> <laughs> well we may end up doing i'll be honest with you brother i got a little 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 teary-eyed when you were talking about you know, being down in there and your dad come up and you're hugging on the deer, I'm, I I got a little choked a little bit, you know, because 
I know how special stuff like that can be, especially when it comes into your dad, you know, and yeah, we. As pretty as all the pictures are that I have with the deer, well, I mean, we we put him in in a pose position, you know, fold his legs under him and all like like they do. And we took a lot of really good pictures of him, and the, the picture where he died is absolutely beautiful. Where Dad took the picture because it's a bunch of just junk trees that they left after they did their cutover, and they're all black from the dew, uh-huh. and and he's white. Yeah, he's he really stands behind him. And out of all those pictures, as pretty as they are, my favorite is we've got him hanging on the scale. We weighed him. And surprisingly enough, this deer's body, he only weighed 160 pounds. Really? But we've got him on the scale. And my, my favorite picture is my dad's got his arm wrapped around the deer, hugging the deer. And I'm standing next to him looking at the deer smiling. And that's my favorite picture out of all of them. Well, I'll tell you what, you send me that one, and at the beginning of each, but when everybody pulls up the podcast, it'll always come up a thumbnail, and we'll, that'll be the picture that they see. You send me your, your, your favorite picture that you want everybody to see, and that's the one we'll put up there. All right. You want me to send you uh, send you everything I got, and you can add some more to it, or you just want to? You can just send me that one, um, or you can send me whatever, brother. We'll do something with it. I'll, I can... I can use it. I I use it as a teaser. How about that? Let folks know, hey, this is what we got coming. Yeah, that's right. Well, look, man, I appreciate you so much. You tell a heck of a story. Let me tell you. I, I, I you know, I didn't even know if you would tell a story at all. And as I'm sitting here now, I'm like, man, I've really been blessed with two good stories, the last two good podcasts, and you you did absolutely perfect on this, brother. I know you said well, you were a little, a little nervous, nervous at first. Yeah, I knew you were a little nervous at first, but you did great. <laughs> Yeah, I was nervous about having enough material, but I believe we had plenty. I, oh yeah, yeah. I, I think was worried we did. I was gonna make it if I was gonna make it thirty minutes worth or not, but I, now that I've told the story, I know we got about forty five minutes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, dude. Well hey man, I appreciate you and I hope you guys have a good evening. And look, keep let me keep me in the loop when you get that full body mount back. I'd like to I'd like to see it. I'd like to see it some yes. pictures of. Oh yeah, without a doubt, man. I appreciate it so much. I I want this deer story to be told all over. Absolutely. I'm the same. Well, thank you, brother. We'll talk at you later on. All right, man. I appreciate it. You too now. This podcast is one that I am extremely happy to bring to you guys. You know, this this story encompasses exactly what hunting is to the hunter. We're not out here trying to hurt these animals. We don't hate these animals. We don't have a disdain or, or anything like that toward these animals. What we do is we love them. We love these animals so much that we spend our money and our time and our effort making sure that they have what they need to survive and then picking out the ones that it's their time to come home. You know, when an animal reaches maturity, it's not just taking a mature animal because he's, he's been here for so long. That animal is reaching the end of his life cycle. They are more times than not, not breeding. They're just taking up the, the, the natural resources and the food for those who can sustain the herd for generations. That's why we take them home. Not only are they beautiful, don't get me wrong, they are. And they're smart, but that's just what the right thing to do. That's the conservationist way of doing it. You take the mature animal not because anything other than that's what it's supposed to do. That's what he's, they've lived their life cycle 
and now it's time for us to bring them home. And Justin did that, and I cannot express how thankful I am for him to tell this story tonight. This story is one, like I said before, it, it, it's something I'll never forget. It, it made me emotional, and I had a strong appreciation for what he did, what his dad did, and what their neighbors did, because they all got together. This is something that we'll talk about for as long as they all live, is this deer. And I'm proud to have a small, small part in it. I want to tell their story, so please like and share this with everybody you can. This is a story that needs to be told. Tell it to everybody that'll listen. My name is Greg Hicks. This is the Antlers and Hicks podcast. And I'm always going to encourage you guys to live your life past 20 yards. We'll see you next time.